Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 11. When you got it, say so. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Father, we love you. And we thank you today because your grace truly is sufficient. We thank you because you are here. You have heard our worship. You have habitated our praise. All because of who you are, Lord God. I thank you for the privilege that it is to share your word this morning. And I just pray that you would use me for your glory, that you would use me for your honor, Lord God. And I pray that you would change all of us. Give all of us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. And help us, Heavenly Father, to internalize this and apply the scriptures to our lives. Help us to grow in this wonderful grace. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' good name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I know Pastor Aldo will will be making announcements a little bit later on, but I just wanted to make one Um, When you came in this morning, and if you didn't get it on your way in, you should get it on your way out, but we were giving out these bookmarks, and these bookmarks are a reminder because next week on Thursday, next or this Thursday coming up, I'm sorry, May 3rd is the National Day of Prayer, and the reason why that's important is because it is the one time of the year where a whole bunch of people that call upon the name of the Lord get together in different locations, and what we have done typically um, throughout the years is because they do a live streaming that comes directly from um, Washington, D.C., um, what we do is we stream that here. And so if you have the day off, um, if you have some time to come out during that day, uh, I, I will email, I will send out an email letting you know the exact times that the whole activity will, will happen. But we'll stream that live here. You're welcome to come out and pray and worship God and just really join the rest of the nation in praying and seeking the Lord. Very, very important time for us. And, um, and our first president, you know, was the one who signed that into order. And so that is a good thing that we did or, you know, that we have a nation that was founded and part of our founding was in prayer. Amen? And so I encourage you to participate in that. Even if you can't make it to the building, you can go directly to the website um, if you're at work or something like that, and you can stream there, whatever the case may be, and you can multitask. I don't know if some of y'all can. I can't. Um, it's one or the other. I will either watch the stream or do something else. So ultimately, it's, um, it's something you can do also if you can't make it to the building. But I do encourage you to take out some time for prayer on that Thursday. Now, this morning, getting into our message, this is the last message of four. And it actually is probably like a sixth message because the first message, I preached three different parts to it. But we're dealing today with the last topic, which is that male leadership matters. And I want to thank every man that is present here. There are some men that are watching us via our our live streaming, and so that is pretty awesome, and I appreciate them being here. Some of them were sick, and they didn't want to get you sick, but they still wanted to tune in, and so I thank God for technology, and we're able to share the message throughout. Amen? And so this morning we're dealing with this, this, this topic that is very near and dear to my heart because we need to make sure that we understand the importance of male leadership within not just the church, not just the community, our homes as well. And that is vital to us because we live in a culture that is continually changing. 
okay, a culture that is growing, we're learning new stuff, technology is advancing, and all of these different things are occurring, and there are some kind of, some kind of way that, that, that lines that are drawn kind of in the sand, those lines get removed and get replaced and so on and so forth, and so it's important for us as a church that we don't lose our mind, but that we are renewed in our minds, say renewed in our minds, and our way of thinking, and that we allow ourselves, according to the scriptures, that we don't conform to the pattern of this world, but that we are transformed. And so we become transformed by what? By looking at the scriptures and not allowing anything else to determine how we will think, which inevitably will determine how we live. And so looking at male leadership in the church, it is very important. Now, I want to give you some context here because, again, I'm not really into pulling stuff out of context and just, you know, using a scripture without giving you some context here. But I want you to realize, and if you don't know this already, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter that is known as this love chapter. And so what the Apostle Paul does is in chapter 12, he begins to communicate regarding the gifts of the Spirit, all of the different gifts that operate within the church. And then after that, he goes and he talks about about love and he makes love this like middle portion because then in chapter 14 what he's going to do is he's going to tell you how are you supposed to operate in these gifts how are these gifts supposed to be utilized within the church and really what it is like it is almost as if chapter 13 is the middle of the sandwich the two pieces of bread being the gifts of the spirit and their definition and the other part of the sandwich is the gifts of the spirit and their utilization but the thing that keeps them together the gifts and their utilization is this thing called love and and so what Paul is saying is that in chapter 12, he is rebuking them to some degree, or in chapter 14, he's rebuking them, letting them know, man, you guys are using these gifts way out of order. It's all good that you speak in tongues and that you prophesy and that you have songs in the spirit and all of these things that you do, but you're missing a big element, and it is what I talked about in chapter 13. And the reason why he utilizes verse 11 and what he's saying is when I was a child, and he's speaking of when I was immature, when I, when, when I thought only about myself, when you think about children, do children think about anybody else usually? They walk in the door. They don't care what kind of shoes you got on or if you have no shoes on. They're just, they just they, they got to walk in that area, right? And so they will step on your feet and hurt you. You got to pay attention for them. Amen? They're not, they're not going to be quiet because you walked into a quiet building. Amen, hallelujah. They, 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 they just going to make noise. That's just, they're not thinking about anybody else. And so as a Christian, when I get saved, it's, you know, it, I meet Jesus. It really, I mean, it really changes my life radically. I experience his presence. Some wonderful things occur. But it really becomes all about me in certain areas. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, it can't be all about you. It can't just be about you and your feelings. And so when he's given this correlation, he's saying, when I was a child, and he's talking about the progression of men in general and in the natural. And if you look at this, there are no references. If you can, I try to reference this all over the place. There's no reference where this goes to the left or to the right or somewhere else because Paul, again, is doing the same thing that we talked about last week when Jesus said that a student becomes like his teacher. He is using a natural reality to paint a picture. And so he's saying when I was a child he said I spoke as a child so he spoke a certain way he says that he understood as a child so he understood things a certain way and then he says he thought as a child and another way to look at that is that he reasoned as a child and so specifically dealing with men, it is important that we realize that when we were boys, when we were little kids we were certain ways, we spoke certain ways you know like when, when, when you were, I, I mean I hope and, and if, I, if I offend you I, I really don't apologize but I just want you to know that that could happen. Um, but I remember when I was a little kid you know it was all about that car that I wanted. 
and what I'm going to do to that car when I get it. And see, if you were ghetto like me, you knew you couldn't afford that car all hooked up, so you were thinking about the car that looked like the one you wanted and what you were going to do to it to make it look like that. Amen? Right? So that's how you talked, and that was like your whole thing. You were like, I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and it was because when I was, a, when I was a child, I thought about things a certain way because it was all about that car, all about that system. That, that, those were the things that we thought about, right? Now, let me ask you a question. How ridiculous does a grown man sound talking like that? He got all kind of bills piled up. He got all kind of responsibilities around. But, y'all, I'm going to get that car, dog. I'm just saying I'm going to hook that up. I'm going to drive. That sounds crazy, right? That sounds ridiculous. You hear someone talk. Look, look, I've been, I'm going to tell you right now, none none of y'all in here, so I'm not, there's no one in here. But I've been in conversations where there is a a person of age that is of the male persuasion, because I can't call him a man, right? He's over 21, whatever the case may be, may have a job, I don't know, but he has some other responsibilities. I've been in those circumstances where he is talking like that, and she, meaning his significant other, whether they're married or they're just together with babies, and he starts talking like that, and she's like, what is wrong with him? Because that was cute when we were 16, but you're 25, so stop talking like a boy and start talking like a man. But you know why you don't talk like a man? Because you don't understand like a man. And, you, and when you think about understanding, the reason you don't understand like a man is because you don't reason like a man. That's why Paul said, he said, I spoke like a child. He said, I understood like a child. I reasoned like a child. Everything was different. He said, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And so the challenge that I have for every one of my brothers, and, and, and I use the picture of the car deal because I think most of us, you know, we wanted a certain car. Some of us still want a certain car. I see the certain car that I want every once in a while. Amen. <laughs> I, I see it when I'm driving with my daughter, and I love it because, you know, my, I, I, we've switched places. I don't talk about buying it. She's like, Daddy, I'm going to buy you that car. And I'm like, man, that's going to be a long time. <laughs> It'll be a long time before I get that car. <laughs> But ultimately, I'm not sweating, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, do, but I use that picture because we've all been there. And, and, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to say we need to think about the way that we talk. We need to think about the things that we focus on, the things that we prioritize, especially as men. And as I said earlier, in a culture that is changing, it is important that Christians renew their minds continually and stay vigilant against any views that oppose the scriptures. No matter how practical, how warranted, how necessary those views may be, the way that the world reasons is different. When we were talking last week about education, I really want to repent before you because I I need you to understand something. I was not in any way, shape, or form trying to paint a picture of one way of education as more superior to another. That was not my goal. And I did a bad job of pointing out the main focus, which is this. It is that parenting in general is about discipleship. Say that with me. Parenting in general is about discipleship. My whole point of last week's message was this, that the decisions we make regarding education affect the discipleship process of our children. Ultimately, what they do is they place obstacles, the decisions we make are going to place challenges before doing what? Before us helping our children grow in Christ. Amen? This is what happens for us. And so we want to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to just begin to think the way that the world does or reason the way that the world does. And especially in this area of manhood. 
especially in the area of male leadership because we can get we can get twisted and we start doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We start focusing on things we shouldn't be focusing on. We start dealing with things that we shouldn't be dealing with. And so ultimately what we need to do is make sure that when we look at the way that anybody says whatever they say, does that align with what the scriptures teach? Am I allowing the scriptures to define my responsibilities? Am I allowing the scriptures to define my calling? Am I allowing the scriptures to define what I am supposed to be doing? According to scriptures, scripture has called men to be leaders in their homes, leaders in the church, and leaders in the communities in which they live. Now let me say this. This does not belittle, ignore, or disregard the leadership abilities, the wisdom, and the grace that God has given to women. It simply calls men to a specific role. See, because automatically when I begin to talk about male leadership, see, I, I can sense the tension, glory to God. You know, you, 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 you feel that because you got, you know, you, you, you have mindsets that we deal with. And so, you know, what, what is he going to say, you know, that, that women just need to be quiet and sit in a corner? Absolutely not. That's not my heart. That isn't what I would say forever. As a matter of fact, I would say that would be ignorant on the part of anyone to think like that because when we look at this, and, I, and, I, and I've said this before, and so I want to make sure that I reiterate this, but we are equal. Say, we are equal. We are equal. Men and women, say that. Men and women, Men and women. are equal, equal. image bearers of God. Yet, yet. say that loud, yet. yet, they have different responsibilities that doesn't mean one is more important than the other. As a matter of fact, I'll say it like this. Because of the lack of biblical male leadership, women have made the choice to do what? To do what other people ain't doing. You get loud, glory to God. You, 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 we can, oh, this is what has happened. Because men weren't doing their job, men weren't doing what God called them to do as this leader, men weren't leading with love, men weren't doing, what happened? Well, a woman said, you know what, he ain't going to do it, so I'm just going to do it. And so you have mothers telling daughters, listen, you need to get an education because he ain't going to take care of you. You have to take care of yourself. Hold on a second, is that God's design? Is that God's way of, I mean, seriously, we want our daughters to be educated just in case what? In case he walks out on them, in case he leaves them with the bag in her hand, she's not over there like her mother was, struggling to make ends meet. I mean, think about it. But, 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 but is that what God originally intended? See, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. Say, we live in a fallen world. And so I'm not going dis, I'm, I'm to disregard the fact that I think that women should be educated. I think that you should get education. Don't just, you know, be ignorant and dumb and don't go to school and stuff like that. But you know what? I was telling my wife this the other day, and I, and I say this sincerely, and I will preach this to my daughter, and I will teach this to my future son-in-law. And you notice I kind of slow down when I say that because I don't want to talk about that. But ultimately... Um, I will make sure that he understands this. I told my wife, I said, you know what? I said, I pray for this, this young man that will be the one to take my daughter from our home into his home, that he will be responsible enough that my daughter will have options when it comes to working. In other words, she don't have to work if she don't want to work. How quiet it is. That she, that listen, that she does not have to work if she does not want to work. If she decides that she wants to work, hey, glory to God. They will work it out. But where she doesn't have to be a, 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 a one who is bearing the weight of the financial responsibility in the home. 
You know why that don't sound? Listen, because nowadays we don't teach, we don't talk about that stuff. I wish someone would have slapped me in the face before I got married and been like, you need to make sure that she has options. See, the reason why I live this and I, and I preach this to you is because I have to repent daily before God when I think about the fact that at this moment, my wife doesn't have an option. She's got to work so we can do what we got to do. See, so I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing stones from a glass house here, y'all. I'm letting you know that this is the way that men should be raised up. And we should have this mindset. You know what? We go through hardships. We go through difficult situations. You could lose, you know, a limb or you could become disabled and then you can't work and then the situation changes. But here is the reality. The reality is when I'm dealing with my daughter, I want to make sure that she understands that. And I want to make sure that her, you know, fiance, whatever, that he'll understand that too. <laughs> that he understands this. And you know what? Can I tell you something for my daughter? Let me, let, 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 let me explain this to you for her. And this, this, ladies, y'all ain't going to want to hear this because you want to stay home, but you don't want to hear this side of the token. You may not be able to live like you did in your mommy and daddy's house to have that option. See, because mommy and daddy were working hard, and, they, and, and you, you ain't going to just walk into a four-bedroom house, you know, just like that. I'm, that may not happen. Hello. And if you choose to do that, then you're going to have to make some, there's no choice, right? Unless he's a baller. Glory to God. I'm just saying. But here, here's the truth. The truth is, there should be options, right? There, there, there should be a way that men should feel. Say this with me, men. We, we should feel the weight of provision responsibility in our home. In other words, don't be a lazy bum. Don't be cool with her going to work and you sitting at home playing video games. Mm-hmm. I know, I know y'all, I, I haven't even got to my first point. I'm just saying. We're both image bearers, but we have different responsibilities. See, when, I, when, when we're boys and we're younger, you know, it's cool because we play video games, mom cooks, dad works, and we don't have to do anything. But what happens once I'm the man? I have to change some things, don't I? Can't live that way anymore. The first thing that I say, you can repeat after me, you can write this down also if you're taking notes. A biblical man, a biblical man. knows his place. See, normally we hear them saying, you know, a woman knows her place. No, a biblical man knows his place. A biblical man knows his place. I'm going to give you some scripture references. We will not turn to all of them, but you can reference these on your own. The book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 and the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. So that's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. And so what you will find when you look at all of these scriptures is what I'm going to say right now. God, from the, going from the order of creation, man was created first as the leader. And so man was created as the leader. He was the first one created. So, he, so, so by creation, by the definition of creation, he is on the scene first. Therefore, he's the one who takes the leadership role. That's the bottom line. When you continue on through scripture, you find that in marriage, man is, uh, is established as the head or the leader of his wife. This is what the scriptures teach. And so an order of creation is that man is the leader. Then when you look at the place of marriage, it says that man is the leader 
in the home. That's what the Bible says. That's not what some chauvinist came up with. And then in the church, men are called to lead and they are appointed as elders in the church. And so you see the order of creation, you see the order in the family, and then you see the way that God designs it to be in the church. And so in these areas, we see that man in no place in his life is off the hook of being a leader. But we are called to lead and be the examples in our families. And so when we talk about being biblical men, biblical manhood is lived out as men respond to the order of creation, the call and example of the creator, meaning Jesus comes into this earth, gives us an example on how to lead and how to live. And then what happens is we do these things within the context of our divinely appointed responsibilities. I'm going to say that again. Biblical manhood is lived out as men respond to the order of creation, the call and the example of the creator within the context of their divinely appointed responsibilities. And so if God has given me as a man certain responsibilities, I need to be faithful in those places. Amen? If God has entrusted me with a family, that means that I need to be a faithful leader within my family. If God has entrusted me with a ministry in the church or a calling on my life in the church, I need to be faithful as that man who does those responsibilities. If I've been given a specific position and a job within community, whatever the, place, whatever the case may be, then I need to be responsible, and that is how I live out biblical manhood. By doing the things that God has called me to do and God has entrusted me with. A lot of times we're trying to figure out what God entrusted us with. Just look at where you are. Look at what he has given you. You don't have to look too far. Just look around you. Hallelujah. Look at where you are. In some places, you know what? Some of you are in places where there is a major void of leadership and God has you as a man there for that reason. You see all kind of issues, all kind of problems. And, 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 and listen, I, ladies, I don't want to leave you out of this. I just want to call the men of God to a higher place. Amen? Amen? Because some of you ladies are in the same place. But here's what I will tell you is that if you're in a place, and, and I say this to the ladies to encourage them, if you are in a place where you know that you need some biblical leadership, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in the church, whatever the case may be, listen, do not cower at God's opportunity for you, but make sure you don't get in the way of what God wants to do through another man. Hear me. I'm going to give you an example because y'all love, love Deborah, right? Yes, only a couple of you love Deborah. Some of y'all don't know her. Glory to God. She's found in the book of Judges chapter 4. Amen? And, she is, and she, she is one of the judges. The Bible says she's a judge. She's a prophetess. And the scripture tells us something about this woman. She is seeking God. She's praying. God is using her mightily in this leadership thing. But then she calls this guy by the name of Barak. She calls him to him and says, Barak, come over here. So he comes. He's like the leader of the army. And she says, listen. You need to go, and you need to go and lead the children of Israel into this defeat. And he's like, no, I'm not going unless you go with me. Did you hear what I just said? Now, y'all didn't hear me because y'all stood too quiet. He just said, she calls him and says, you need to go. God is going to give you this victory. And he says, I'm not going to go without you. You know what she says to him? She doesn't applaud him and be like, oh, oh you know, that's cool. I'm going to go with you because I'm the prophetess. She says, you know what? You are not going to get any glory for this. A woman is going to get glory for this. That was an insult to him. And so Deborah wasn't even trying to take anything that wasn't her position. She wasn't trying to do anything outside of her authority. She, and, and so she was trying to lead and help and assist and be that voice that encouraged. And so sometimes women of God, 
That's what you need to be, that voice that communicates that truth. Amen? You need to be that one to help that man of God step up to do what he's supposed to do. And so we, we lead within these areas that God has given us to lead. And so to lead biblically, this requires what? It requires character that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you one of the hardest things to do or, or one of the hardest things to go through and experiencing, especially as a man, is to allow God to mold your character the way he wants it, not the way you want it. One of the hardest things for me is to let is to just submit to God and say, it's your will, it's your way, not my way. You're gonna mold me how you want me, how you want me to be molded. That is a tough thing to do because there's some things that I really like about my way of being. There's some things that I really enjoy about how I am. And this goes for men or women, so you can take it. Right? I, there, there's some things that I just, and so character, if I'm going to be a man that's going to lead the way God has called me to lead, if you're going to be a man that's going to lead the way that God is calling you to lead, and listen to me, if you're a young man, uh, you're not married, you're not even graduated from college, still in school, this is a great message for you. Because you need to understand that God has called us to lead, that we need godly men who will rise to the challenge and be the men that God has called them to be to do what God has called them to be, to lead families, to lead churches, to lead the way we're supposed to lead is not always easy. It requires character. Now, here's the thing. God is the one who initiates. He's the one who calls. God is the one who completes. He's the one who sanctifies. But we are the ones who respond. How do we respond? We respond by recognizing I need to be changed. I can't continue to be how I am. Which brings me to my second point. Say this with me. A biblical man depends fully upon the grace of God to live out his call to manhood. A biblical man depends fully upon the grace of God to live out his call to manhood. To biblical manhood, it is, listen, it is difficult. I want you to understand this. To be a biblical man, it requires an understanding of my need for the gospel and the grace of God in all areas of my life. Let me say this again. To be a biblical man, it requires an understanding of my need for the gospel and the grace of God in all areas of my life. So when I talk about the gospel, what am I talking about? What I'm talking about is for me to be a biblical man, I need to understand my own depravity. Say depravity. That means my own sinfulness, my own inability to do anything that has to do with salvation apart from God's grace. This is important for us. We need to understand that by nature, we are selfish. Say selfish. We are prideful. Say prideful. We are arrogant. Say arrogant. By nature, we are all of these things. As men, by nature, we're either chauvinists or we're cowards. That is by nature. By nature. We are, and, and, and see, it's not just, see, when you think about it, it's not just about the here and the now. Because here's the reality. All of those things are going to negatively affect the here and the now. If you're a cowardly man, in other words, if you're the type of man that has your wife calling to work for you. If you're the type of man that has your wife put face for your family, she's the one who communicates for you, you're a coward. Bishop, that's rough. I know it is. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be real. The fact of the matter is, if you're hiding, it's like you're hiding behind your mom. She's just your wife now. 
Because you used to let your mom talk for you. You used to let your mom do this for you. But wait a second. As a man, you can't, if you're going to be a coward, you are going to lead cowardly. You don't want to do that. But then here's the other side of it. The other side of it, then we respond as chauvinists. And we puff out our chest and we're like, I'm the man. And you don't listen to anyone. No one can give you counsel because you have all of the answers. They're not the right answers. They're just all the answers. I went to see my dad yesterday, and he was telling me about this guy that he's known for like 20 years, and he said he hadn't seen him for a long time. And he said they start having conversations, and he says that the guy is spewing out just stupidity when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to scriptures. And he said, but every time that the guy was asked a question, he never, ever once didn't have an answer. I know that was a double negative. I know all that. Great. Glory to God. Here's the point. The point is, every question. He had the answer. He knew. He knew the answer. My dad is like, you do not know. You, 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 you don't even know what you're talking about. Don't you love those kind of guys? Kind of ladies, kind of people. They're just crazy, right? They, they have all of the answers. So you become show. And you, 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 you can't hear from your wife communicating to you, babe, that's, 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 the, that's, that's the wrong direction. You know, I, 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 get, I get a little chauvinist when I'm driving in the car, right? And we're lost. And my wife's like, babe, why don't you just stop? I'm like, I ain't stopping. Give me my phone. I need to fix it. <laughs> I mean, let me look this up on the GPS. We won't get there. And so ultimately, you know, that's, at the moment it's not funny. Right now it's funny. But at the moment we're lost. We're tired. We want to get to where we need to get to, right? And I'm in, but here's the thing is that we can lead in our entire lives in all areas that way. And so I need to recognize, first and foremost, my depravity. I need to recognize that outside of God, there's nothing good in me. Did you hear me? I need to realize that. I need to realize that that sin that is in my heart, I need to realize that that rebellion that is in my heart, it separates me from God. This is my need for the gospel, that even after I come to Jesus, I still need the gospel every day of my life. That sin separates. Listen to me. When, when, when you think about being separated from God, understand this. This is what it means to be separated from him. You are not only separated from him for eternity, meaning that you will not only spend all of eternity in hell, rotting and just and, and totally suffering for all of eternity because you don't know him. But think about the here and the now. How does that affect you? I am separated from God, meaning I depend on my own wisdom. I don't get I, I'm not privy to his. I don't get his power for provision in my life because I'm too busy trying to provide on my own. That means that I don't get any of the grace or any of the strength that is necessary because of what? Because of my pride, because of my arrogance, because of whatever it is that is separating me from God Almighty. So we have issues with that because we don't want to be men that are like that. But then the beauty of this is I understand the gospel. Because Jesus came and died in my place, so that way that separation would no longer be there. See, that's what y'all should have said amen, because everybody could have said amen and felt good about that, right? But ultimately, Jesus comes and dies in our place, so that way he can deal with our depravity. He can deal with our sin. He can deal with that separation. He can deal with eternity being in hell. He says, you know what? I am going to come die in your place because you will never be good enough to earn your way into heaven. You will never be good enough to earn your way into my presence, to get my wisdom, to get my counsel. You will never be humble enough to just sit down and say you don't have all of the answers. So he dies in our place. The Holy Spirit comes and does what and convicts our hearts 
lovingly drawing us so we can do what? So we can repent, so we can turn away from our sin, turn to Jesus. As men of God, this is so vital. Because if you're not a Christian, you cannot be a biblical man. Listen to me. It's not about being a good man. This is not about being a good man. This is not being about. This is not about being a good man that you know. I don't hurt my wife. I don't hurt the, you know. No, no, no. This is not about you know. I don't abuse my kids. I've been a good. No. This is about being a biblical man. This is about being a male leader that that desires to walk in the qualities that Jesus Christ walked in in this earth. Being a biblical man is something that requires my understanding. I need to understand how desperately I need the gospel. So what does that mean for me? You see, once I've come to the fact that I understand that I'm a sinner, I realize that I can do nothing to earn righteousness, that I'm never going to be good enough to earn God's favor or his approval. I recognize that Jesus died in my place so that way I could be back in a relationship or what we call reconciled to God. Jesus does that for me. I come to him with humility, I submit to him, and then I'm able to do some other things because here's what happens automatically. When I come to Jesus, I get a new identity. Say, I get a new identity. See, no longer am I, am, am I magnified or am I glorified because of all of my accomplishments. No longer am I magnified or glorified because of everything that I do well. And no longer am I degraded because of all of my failures and shortcomings. See, that's the beauty of Jesus. See, because he doesn't just, he he comes into your life and he says there is something else that gives you this identity. And it is me. It is what I've done. It is what I did. It is who I am. This is what occurs. But as a man to lead in any area that I have to lead, I have to have a continual dependence upon the gospel. A continual dependence upon what Jesus Christ has done and finding my real identity in him. Because if I don't find my identity in him, the next part of my life gets messed up. And you know what that's called? That's called worship. Because then what I do is I can begin to worship my family by trying to make them picture perfect, by trying to make my kids all walk this straight and narrow, not because of the gospel, not because of Jesus, but because of my pride, because of the family name, because of whatever it is. But I can can begin to worship work because I find my identity there rather than in Jesus. I can't say no to volunteering in certain areas or helping in certain things because I find my identity here rather than in Jesus. See, for me to be a biblical man, I have to be a man that finds my identity in Jesus because then that will help me to worship Jesus out of an identity, not trying to worship Jesus, trying to find an identity. See, some of us look back at our lives and we're like, oh, you know, I was a good dad, I was a good dad, you know, I was this, or, you know, I'm going to be, or whatever. And we, we look back at, at, at all of these things, whether they're good or whether they're bad, and we allow those things to be the things that identify us. But as men, we have to lead our families in a way that our children see, that our wives see, that our friends, we need to lead a life that our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers see that you have an identity that is outside of this job. That you have an identity that is greater than even this family. That you have an identity that is even bigger than your position or lack thereof within church. That you have a greater identity than what you do in community because you found your identity in Jesus. And so then what you do out of that identity is you begin to worship God, not out of trying to gain something, but you worship him to be faithful in the responsibilities. And the other thing that a man of God does or a biblical man will do is that he will continue to grow 
he will continue to grow in community with other men living out the gospel. If there is one thing that I can challenge every man of God in this place to do is that you need to connect with other men of God. When you isolate yourself, you separate yourself, you do your own thing, you are missing out on one of the key components to you growing to become the man of God you're supposed to be because two things will happen. Number one is that if you're real with that person, because I can tell you, anybody who knows me, you see my shortcomings, you know where I'm, where I'm weak, but there is also something else that happens. You know that I don't depend on my shortcomings or my strengths, but I depend on Jesus, and I will call you to the carpet, not because of how great I am in an area, but because of what Jesus requires of all of us in every area. See, there's a difference. And when you get around other men, I don't, I, I, see, this, this, this is the greatest struggle that I can say personally that I would have. It's that when I see an area that I'm weak in, I find it hard to say, hey, man, you got to step up in that area because I feel like I have no authority. You know why I have authority? Not because I'm so great, but because Jesus said it. Do you understand me? That doesn't mean that I become a hypocrite and I'm telling everyone what to do and not living it. That means that I live repentantly and I do what God has called me to do as a man in whatever particular area. And that's why you need that community with other men of God in your life. Amen. The pure motivation of a biblical male, or biblical male leadership is not the responsibility itself. It is not the responsibility itself, but it is the one who gave us the responsibility. Here's the thing. Our pride is not at stake. It is the glory of Jesus that is at stake. See, when I look at why I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves the church and continue to fail at it, but get up and try to love her tomorrow again or try to love her the next minute again and come humbly and repentantly and acknowledge that. The reason why I'm going to try to discipline my daughter and I'm going to try to lead her the way that I'm supposed to is not because I get accolades for doing that here and now, but it's because it brings glory and honor to Jesus. It glorifies. If no one else sees the way that I treat my, my, my daughter, if no one else sees the way I treat my wife, if no one else sees whatever I do as far as leading in the congregation, if no one else sees the way that I deal with my neighbors, if no one else sees that, Jesus sees it. And he is either glorified and magnified in me or he is disrespected and dishonored and his picture, the image that I'm supposed to bear is distorted. It is one or the other. And so why do I worship? Why do I, why, why do, I do the things? Why do we as men or why should we as men be motivated to be these men? Is because God has called us to be these men that lead this way for his glory and for his honor. The third point that I make, it is this, and say this with me. A biblical man will set the pace in family, in church, and in community. A biblical man will set the pace in family, in church, and in community. So as image bearers of, of God, men of God realize that it is a daunting task to try and imitate a holy, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, complete in love, pure in motive, always good God who never makes a mistake and who always has the right answer. He doesn't just always have an answer. He always has the right answer. And so if you are like me, when you look at the fact that I'm called to imitate this God, I'm called to bear this image, I'm called to be holy like this, God is, like this God is holy. I'm called to be perfect like Jesus said. He said that we are supposed to be perfect as his father is perfect. That's what Jesus communicates. And so I realize that this is heavy. This is something that I cannot do on my own. Yet I realize this, that the grace of God makes it possible. 
It is the grace of God. It brings me back to the work of the gospel. It brings me back to the understanding of what Jesus has done. It brings me back to that place that I realize that I cannot do this on my own, but his grace is sufficient. See, because what can happen to us as men, and let's just be real, is that we can become overwhelmed, not solely with what, I I just gave you this list of things, you know, we're never going to be all-knowing, but you know what we can do? We can trust a God that is all-knowing. And we can live that life in, 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 in a manner that proves that we trust that he knows everything. That while I don't know everything, he does. We, we, we are never going to be all powerful, able to lift everything, every weight, every situation. But we can serve a God and we can demonstrate that we trust the one who is all powerful. See, I may not have all of the answers all the time. And if I do, then I have a problem. But I can always go to the one that has the answers. And you know what I can learn to do? Is I can learn to trust his answers even when I didn't want to hear that one. And so as men, we have this great responsibility, this great task that is before us. And we will be the ones that are going to set the pace. And what, what, we, what we've got to understand is that our families and churches and communities need men who will not cower at the call nor respond chauvinistically who will not cower and say, man, I'm just not going to be able to do this. You know what? I'm, just, I'm never going to be at that place. That's a good place to start. That's not a good place to finish. That's a good place to come and say, you know, man, I, I, I'm never going to be that man. By the grace of God, you can be. And so I'm not here, and, and it may sound like I'm beating you all up. I'm not trying to beat you up. I want you to understand there is hope in Jesus. The question is, do you want his hope, or do you want to continue to live hopelessly? It really is up to you if you want to be the man that God has called you to be. So what do I mean by this? And I'm getting ready to close right now. But what do I mean by this when I say that men set the pace? Well, the first thing I mean by men setting the pace in their families, in their churches, in their communities, is they live by example, not forgetting to teach the wise for all that we do. They live by example. Listen, it's not enough just to do it right. You need to teach your children, your wife. You need to talk to your neighbors when they see you living a certain way. You need to encourage your brothers in Christ when they see you living a certain way. So that way you can do what? So that way you can explain to them the whys. So you know why it's so important for you to explain why we do the things that we do? It's two things. Number one is because it informs and it educates the ones you're talking to. Number two, it solidifies your convictions in your heart. Did you hear me? It's not just about informing them. It's not just about letting them know. It is about solidifying the conviction. This is the reason why I do this. This is the reason why I don't do this. It helps you to grow in those convictions, helps you to live more firmly, and then you're also able to educate those. To to set the pace means to be intentional in discipleship with our wives and our children. To be intentional, to really have a plan in mind. You don't have a plan? Call me, please. Email me. What? Let's get a plan together. What is your plan for discipleship in your home? What is the plan? Well, Bishop, I don't know how to do that. Let me help you. You don't have to call me. Call one of the pastors. Call one of the leaders. We will help you put a plan together. It's not rocket science. It's discipleship. It's praying with your family, reading scriptures with your family, worshiping together, evangelizing with your family. It is doing those things. That's what it means to make make disciples. 
The third thing, to set the pace means to be accountable with and to our brothers in Christ. Listen to me. It is so very important that we are accountable to and with. That we don't just submit to accountability and have conversations. We were in our Wednesday night Bible study, and as we were in that class, I'll use Brother Orlando. He shared it with most of us that were in there. But as we were talking about the different areas, we were talking about pretending, right? Y'all remember that? For those of you that were there, we were talking about pretending. We were like, well, what areas do you pretend in? And, you know, I went and I, I, I talked about mine, and then slowly everybody started talking about their areas of pretending. Not everyone, but most everyone participated, which I appreciated that. And the one thing that I said to everyone in the class, I said, listen, y'all, y'all can just be set free. Everyone in this place is a pretender. Mm-hmm. So you can all be set free as well. I'm not a pretender. You're pretending. Um, ultimately, okay, you're pretending right now that you're not a pretender. So we just found an area where you pretend. But we all pretend. And Rolando, you know, his thing was, he was like, you know what, I just don't like to tell people my problems. You know, I just, I, I make it, you know, every, like act like everything is okay. And, you know, someone else, my mother-in-law, she chimed in and said, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I'm the same way, rather than bother people with my issues. But you know what the Bible says? Here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, doesn't it? So what are you doing? When you are holding that in. You know what? I love when Sister Michelle was going through her, her situation when she was trying to get a job. She didn't come and cry on my shoulder every week. But she came, she gave me a hug, and she was like, Bishop, pray for me. And you know what that did for me? I already knew the situation. She didn't have to break it down and be like, well, Bishop, this is my emotional ups and downs. She didn't have to, she didn't have to get through all that, go through all that. All she did was she, I knew the situation, and she just said, don't forget me in prayer. Now, mind you, I wasn't going to forget her in prayer. But you want to know what? By her saying that, every time I got down to pray, I remembered her. And so you know what happens? A lot of times you walk around with a smile on your face, but the weight of the world is on you, and all you're doing is you're robbing your brothers or sisters, because this goes both ways. You're robbing them of the opportunity to carry a burden with you and to pray with you and to encourage you through whatever process God is taking you through. But as men, because you know what? Again, this is part of the character thing that I like. I I like to be able to compartmentalize, right? Right? I put that over there when I walk into church. I'm, you know, this, that, and the next thing or whatever. I love, and then when I leave church, you know, I leave that compartment there. Hold on a second. Time out. That's not a character thing that God wants you to carry. God wants us to carry each other's burdens. He wants us to be accountable. And listen, he wants us to be able to call each other higher. We can't do that if you're just quiet. Amen, brothers. Can't do that if you're just all by yourself and you, 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 don't, you don't communicate with anyone. But here's the thing. You have to want that. Accountability is not something that we can ever force on anyone. We can sit down and have all kind of conversations. That doesn't make you accountable. That means that you listen to me and yes me to death. Uh-huh. And you told me what you wanted to tell me so I would leave you alone and we can move on to the next point of the conversation. I know y'all, y'all thought you had it right. You were just pretending. Hello. Let me show you. I know what time it is. Told me just enough so that way I would think, oh, he was being open. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I say that we do to set the pace in our families, in our churches, in our communities, we are the first to repent when we fail or distort the image of Jesus through our sins. One of the hardest things for us to do is to just really acknowledge, man, I really messed up. I really totally just dropped the ball. I cho- we, we, we always want to find a justification as to why we did that. But we repent. 
We recognize. I told you I messed up last week. There's no excuse. I, I, I didn't clearly define that point. I didn't. I wanted to make sure that you understood. Listen, this, this is just, I, I hope, I pray that you as a parent, Pastor Aldo, he got it. He, he, he told me afterwards, he's like, Bishop, man, you made my head hurt after that service. So now, now, now you made me really think about, you know, the educational decisions and things like that. That was my goal. How do those things affect discipleship? Don't, don't be ignorant. Don't think that you can divorce things from that and say, well, discipleship in the home and education, they're, they're, they're not. They are not. you got to think about them holistically and realize that. And so ultimately, when you think about those things, I repent. I, I, I thought about the message, and, you know, and, and Pastor Chad, he sent me a text, and, he, you know, he's so funny because I was, you know, he was like, he was like, he was condemnation. That wasn't conviction. I was like condemnation because I was already super convicted. I'm just playing with you, man. But um, he texts me, and he's like five, like five minutes later. I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't preach the gospel clearly. And he sends me a text. He's like, man, I don't think I heard the gospel today. And I'm like, oh, thank you, devil. <laughs> I'm just joking. I appreciated that. I was a little bothered. I was like, man, God, I'm sorry. I, 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 I thought about it for days. I was like, man, I, I don't want these parents, I don't want the, anyone to miss the heart of what I'm trying to communicate. The point is, we have to be willing to repent. When you raise your voice and you shouldn't, repent. Don't say, if you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. No, say, I shouldn't have. When you, when, you are, when you are irresponsible in an area, just repent. Confess your sin. Turn away from it. Acknowledge it. That's what we do to set the pace. Because you know what? When we walk in humility, that begins to permeate our families. When we walk in pride, guess what? Everyone else walks around prideful. Oh, she don't ever like to apologize. Do you like to apologize? He's such a hardhead. Mm-hmm. Where did he get that from? Talking about your kids, amen? Glory to God. So ultimately, we have to set the pace. And so here's the question. Everyone stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and, and I, I, I sincerely want to call my brother's And ask you this question, will you commit today to rising to the biblical standard of manhood and refuse mediocrity? For the men, we're talking about male leadership in this place. You are called to lead. Listen, if you're a single mom in here, be encouraged. God hasn't called you to be a man, but he's given you the grace to lead your family. And I pray that we as your brothers in Christ we can support you and we can help you and encourage your sons, your daughters in this process and be good role models and male figures in their lives but for those men that are in this place, will you commit to rising to the biblical standard of manhood and refuse mediocrity, that is the question and so there are two men in this place there are the ones that know Jesus and the ones that do not and so the first question is, for the ones that do not know Jesus, to rise to the call of biblical manhood means you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and put your faith in him. And today is a great day to do that.
Today is a great opportunity. This is a calling for men specifically. If you're a woman in this place and you do not know Jesus, today is the opportunity for you to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And then there is the other man, and you are the one that you know Jesus. But maybe you've been falling short. Maybe you, have, you, you just need to step higher, and you recognize that. And today you say, God, I will respond. I can't do it on my own. I need your grace in order to do it. So I open this altar up to every man in this place. And I ask you, if you say, I will commit to rising to the biblical standard of manhood and refuse mediocrity, if that's you in this place, I'm asking you to come forward here so I can pray with you. If you don't know him, then I ask you as well to come forward to this altar, either one. But I'm asking my brothers, hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. I'll be the one to respond. I can respond by myself. I guess the challenge wasn't great enough, but it's all good, my brothers. Father, I do thank you today. I thank you because you have called us higher as men. And I thank you for Pastor Robert in this place, Lord God. I thank you for Pastor Chad. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for these men that have responded to you. God, this is not about me. This is about you. This is about your kingdom, Lord God. This is about your glory. This is about you being exalted through men in this place. And I do pray, Lord God, for every man that is in this church. I pray for each of us, Lord God, that we would respond to your call, beginning with me, Heavenly Father, beginning with my life, my God, that I would respond to the call, that I would respond to you, and that I would rise higher, Lord, not by my strength, not by my ability, that my brothers would rise higher, not by our strength or by our ability, but God, that we would depend upon your grace grace to lead lovingly, Lord God, that we would depend upon your grace to lead with authority, my God, to lead according to your will, to not allow circumstances to dictate how we lead, my God, to not allow situations to determine how faithful we are to you, but God, that we would commit wholeheartedly to being the men that you've called us to be. Heavenly Father, I realize that we are in an hour in which we desperately need men of God to rise up, dear Lord. Heavenly Father, to rise to that call. Dear Lord, I humble myself before you and I pray for your forgiveness for every area where I've been a coward, my God. For every area where I have relinquished my responsibility, giving it to my wife or giving it to someone else. Lord God, where I have not done what I've been called to do. Lord God, I repent before you for the areas in my life where I've been a chauvinist, my God. Where I've been arrogant and where I have cared less about the feelings of my spouse or the feeling of my daughter Father God or the things that are going on around me dear God I pray that you would help me to be the example God God and I pray this prayer for my brothers on this altar today God you see every heart that is here 
And Heavenly Father, you alone know the condition. You alone know where everyone is and what is going on in each life. And so it is my prayer today that we as men would submit our hearts to you. That we as men would really yield to you today. God, I pray that we would no longer find our identity in other things, but that we would find our identity in you. I pray that we would set the pace in our homes, that we would set the pace in our church, that we would set the pace in our communities. God, that we would set the spiritual climate, my God. Lord, we need you, and I praise you for the opportunity to share with my brothers this truth, to share with your church this truth. And I pray your blessing, God. Strengthen us by your grace. And I pray for those in this place, Lord God, that may not know you. Lord, may they hear the call of the gospel. May they respond with repentant hearts. And may they submit to you. Give the Lord a hand of praise. I thank you, brothers, for coming forward.